You're listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves into the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or game design. Each week, Roger is joined by Joe, Vince, and Marty. And welcome to For the Lore, coming to you on April 1st. We're not going to be pulling any shenanigans because we don't believe in that bullshit around here. So this week, I'm, of course, Vince, joined by Marty and Joe. Roger's unfortunately out this week. But, man, it's been a hell of a week. Leading off with something that everybody knew was coming. It was only a matter of when. And it hit, and literally every gamer I know, and many non-gamers, were very excited for the final reveal of Borderlands 3, Joe. So, not only was it the final reveal, well, I mean, I guess I should... Finally the reveal, yeah. Finally the reveal. Uh, It is, it's sort of just the announcement trailer, and all it was meant to do was sort of get you excited for the game. Uh, And we're starting to see different things... Uh, as far as like what it goes and it, it, before that they released a teaser trailer that was like all these little tiny pieces of of various things formed into a psycho bandit mask which was hilarious and people have been dissecting that for days up until the uh the actual packs uh release uh, of what it was the the trailer i was super excited uh like everything i'm seeing in there is basically what i want from a borderlands game which is more borderlands and I mean, extra things like they have guns that walk now on their own. They just run around shooting people <laughs> because why the fuck not? Uh, we don't know anything about the story. We don't know anything about any of the characters. We do know, and this is really important, that Tales from the Borderlands is canonical. So the characters and the story of Tales from the Borderlands is a factor in Borderlands 3, which I think is really fucking cool. Also, uh, the fact that you happen to see uh, Lilith without her tattoos at one point, which is interesting. I'm glad you caught that because I watched the trailer like five times and didn't even notice. I was just too caught up in the spectacle of it all. <laughs> but yeah, so it's interesting because we were, we were actually talking about this with a bunch of my friends locally because we're already planning uh, like two groups of four to play through this game in co-op as soon as it releases, like day of, second it goes live, we're fucking going. Um, but So one of the things that they talked about in the original Borderlands game is that there's only like nine sirens in the entire universe, literally nine, you know, because three is an important number, uh, three times three is nine, blah, blah, blah. Anyway. uh, So with the new siren being shown, I'm wondering if Lila transfers her power over to the new siren and that's how the new siren gets born. Or just throwing it out there. One of the villains has siren tattoos. Also entirely possible. Now, the other thing that I noticed that was interesting about the villains They look a whole hell of a lot like Handsome Jack, both of them. And one of the things that was a throwaway line in Tales from the Borderlands that I think might actually come back to to be a thing here is they were talking about cloning programs for Jack, that there was a contingency plan, not just that little cyber Jack that was in Reese's head, but that there was an attempt to possibly clone him a new body. So I'm wondering if maybe two clones actually got off of Hyperion. I mean... Anything related to Handsome Jack is okay with me. <laughs> yeah. Which and, and then we have the, looks like all of the psychos laying down arms and going to a religious gathering of sorts. And it looks like it is the cult of the vault. Um, or at least that's what we think it is. 
because they all seem to be worshiping at the altar of, well, we can assume it's again, handsome Jack, but what better way to try to find the vaults? If hiring vault hunters hasn't worked out for you, get a whole bunch of psychos. There's a lot more of them than there are vault hunters. Just send them out into the waste. Who cares if a skag eats them? It's the old uh, D and D uh, method of how do we yeah. get through the troop of horrors? Buy a bunch of sheep. Yep. 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 Exactly. <laughs> So I'm I'm okay with everything I'm seeing there. Now the one thing I will say, and, I, and I'm going to comment here just because this is this pissed me off a little bit. A lot of people were tweeting and, and commenting about how they didn't get anything new from this trailer. Well, it's a fucking reveal trailer. They're not telling you anything about the game. They literally said, "Come back on April 3rd, and we'll tell you more about the game." Like settle the fuck down. And who cares if it's not that much different than the other games? Who cares if it's Borderlands 2.5? It's more Borderlands. That's all that that's all that matters. It's more proper Borderlands, not that pre-sequel nonsense. Exactly. Stupid walking through space weird fucking <laughs> 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 But I mean that's what's important to show because I don't know about you guys. Marty, I'm assuming you've played Borderlands. You have assumed incorrectly, sir. It is continue my brother to disappoint. You continue game, to disappoint. Fired! Someone's gotta disappoint you guys. And that's me. I'm the disappointer for the show. That's fine. Well, I don't know about you, Joe, but when Borderlands 2 came out, I was not expecting it to have such a strong connection to the first game with straight up the playable characters being important plot points and mm -hmm. very integral to everything going forward. Just Borderlands didn't strike me as that type of game because it's so irreverent. But having that continuity from one game to the next and having Borderlands 2 build upon what they did in the first one made it astonishing. Like, Handsome Jack would not have been the great villain he had been if it wasn't for Bloodwing. Yep. <laughs> he still would have been a good villain, but those those moments of Bloodwing and Roland were like really set him up as one of the best villains in gaming history, I'll say. And then that leads, of course, into Tales from the Borderlands. So... Even if they don't show us anything new, reminding us about the history of the franchise and how it's carried forward ever since that first game is enough for me because mm -hmm. that's all I need to be excited is know that these characters I love are going to come back and tell another awesome story full of jokes and ridiculousness, but also an emotional depth because I now really care what happens to these people because... I've been around them for, God, what is it, like nine years at this point? Yeah. Well, I mean, and not only that, they've done such a good job, especially like, look at Tiny Tina's DLC. Mm -hmm. Like, when we played through that, if you didn't feel anything while playing through that, you're a fucking monster. Because, like, that that hit right in the feels. It was a little kid trying to, like, come to grips with, like, the death of a loved one. That's That was horrendously huge. Like, right. how do you how do you not feel? Yeah. And then not just the main characters, because, of course, we're going to see Lilith and Brick and Maya and Salvador and like the main characters. But we're seeing even the, the DLC characters. Uh, God, don't ask me their names, but they were there <laughs> as, also, <laughs> as well as you said, uh, we saw Reese from Tales from the Borderlands, which leads me to believe Fiona and Sasha and hopefully Barbarian Vaughn was there. <laughs> yes. Barbarian Vaughn in his Speedo and Cape Glory was fucking <laughs> sitting there. Like that—that's gonna be the the highlight of the game when Loaderbot and Gordas show up. I'm just 
Yeah, we didn't see anything. You know what? That was interesting. I didn't see anything from Loderbot or Gordis, and I really wanted, I want them to make a goddamn appearance. <laughs> you know that's something they're saving, though. Oh, yeah, they have to be. And then give me, like, Gordis and Claptrap <laughs> interacting. <laughs> like, they showed enough here without air quotes showing enough that I'm already 100% on board. Yeah, like, this is a day one purchase for me. There's no question in my mind. And, like, I've, I had a couple arguments over it and why I would, like, go in on it without knowing anything because I know what they've put out previously and that I've had nothing but fun. Yeah, so, they, as a complete novice to Borderlands, other than my brother-in-law trying to get me to play the game, who is the dude playing the saxophone and where can I find out more about him? Because that was my favorite part <laughs> of that whole trailer. Brick? It was very, it was very Lost Boys, like... Uh, like Brick with his amazing yeah. new mustache, yeah, yeah. Uh, also known as Slab King was uh Borderlands one, right? He, yeah, was he was a one of the playable Berserkers. characters in Borderlands one. Yeah, he was the, he was the Berserker, and then he was a uh, an important NPC in uh Borderlands two as well. So he was cool. not the Gunzerker, not to be confused with that. Uh, completely different, but yeah, he was he was there. Mm-hmm. And then just briefly to touch on the little bit we saw of the new playable characters. Some big robot guy. Don't know anything about that. He has we one eye though, so he may be Loaderbot. <laughs> well, we we think he might be we think he might be the Beastmaster that 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 was rumored a long time ago. Because mm -hmm. every time you see him in any of the scenes or any of like the background things and even in that psycho like thing, he was either with one of the wildlife of Pandora or uh riding on like a fucking skag like okay mm -hmm. uh, and then we have uh the weird old guy gunslinger type but from what we can what i saw here i saw kind of all i need to know it looks like his ultimate summon is a giant mech mm -hmm. so all on board there he's, uh, he's look, the new soldier it looks like i don't know i think the the this this the younger girl is going to be the the soldier of this oh game. maybe maybe just because she's decked out in like the traditional armor and helmet and stuff and we didn't really see anything fancy from her and then, of course, as you touched on, the new Siren, who just entirely stole the show here. Amazing character design and just looks. I, I played Lilith and Maya. Those were my first two characters in the first two games. And then I, I secondarily played Roland and uh, Gage. So. I'm leaning heavily towards playing uh, this new Siren, although there might be a fight in the house because I was not aware Alicia played yeah. Borderlands games because she typically doesn't play first person shooters but this is one of the few that doesn't make her sick uh yeah so i'm gonna tell you right now just just pick another character yeah i that's why i'm just I'm, you know what i'll go with the old guy i'm okay with this <laughs> I'll, I'll play the siren when she's not around the other the other important thing i think that we should probably mention too that they meant it wasn't in the trailer but it was when they were talking about it um or no it might have been in the trailer now that i'm thinking about it they said other worlds. Oh, yeah. We are traveling to other planets finally within the universe of Borderlands. Not just Pandora anymore, folks. Because we've thoroughly fucked up Pandora at this oh, point. Oh, yeah. I mean, if the giant tentacle monster that we unleashed on it once wasn't enough and all the vaults that we've exploded in between, yeah, it's time for another planet. The whole crashing a satellite into it didn't help. I mean, we exploded a moon, didn't we? It's been what? a long couple of years. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, Marty, you should play these games. They're really, really cheap. 
I am I am literally fire looking at Steam right at, now and I at think the very least, Marty. Game if you do nothing else, you have to play Tales from the Borderlands. Yes, one hundred percent agreed. Oh, that's I. Um, oh, it's all up on sale on Steam right now. I think there's at least one or two of these games that are on the Game Pass. But Tales from the Borderlands is what I've been wanting to play since. Uh, my friends at Dorcadia uh, talked about it a lot. So. You'll appreciate it far more being familiar with the franchise, but I believe it stands on its own because I, I can sum it up for you in two simple words. Finger gun shootout. I have seen that. I want to play that so bad. <laughs> that looked like so much fun to do. Yeah. And also, like, uh, FC2E2, when I see people in Borderlands cosplay, it, there's it's so good it's just a beautiful way of like showing off how creative you are big mm -hmm. and of course no uh not enough can ever be said about gearbox and their unquestionable choice in musical accompaniments yeah they've always been spot on as far as their music choices go ever since the first time we heard uh Friggin' cage the elephant pop on for borderlands like it was just from there on it was just perfect they they nailed that so they know their aesthetic mm -hmm. right so uh yeah later this week we'll be knowing some more so i assume we'll be discussing it next monday as well yeah and i'm super excited for that mm -hmm. so another big game that is out now is sekiro shadows die twice the latest game from from software it's their departure away from the traditional dark souls combat that they've been so god words <laughs> that they've been so associated with in recent years uh even when they did their bloodborne thing it was still tied into like the core souls formula just in a very different way whereas sekiro here we are getting a full action game without a lot of the rpg elements before we get into sekiro joe you just recently purchased it right yep did you finish devil may cry yep Okay. I absolutely did. Just wanted to make sure, because I know you were... I made it a point to not purchase <laughs> another game until I beat... Like, I beat it on stream. You can go back and watch it. I believe you. Uh, but I, I did beat Devil May Cry 5, and I haven't started my Son of Sparta playthrough yet because I need to gird my loins. <laughs> well, I, I think Sekiro will be good practice for that, <laughs> because while it's obviously a very different combat system, it is no less soul crushing in its difficulty level. So have you actually touched Sekiro yeah, yet? I, I did. I actually played it a little bit before the, uh, the podcast. Um, so I, it's difficult, but in a completely different way, mm -hmm. but I like it better than dark soul so far. And I don't say that lightly. So one of the thing I think a lot of people are having difficulty with is if you've played dark souls and you've played bloodborne, this is a completely different set of skills, like 100% up off the bat, because they want you to be constantly engaged in either stealth kills or dueling. And the game makes it a very, very prominent point to show you how like parrying is the way to go, not dodge rolling, not running away or jumping out of the way. Um, and so for a lot of players, and I've watched some people like play and struggle with it, they keep trying to, you know, dodge roll out or do their like side side jumps and get around to the other side and do all these other like Dark Soulsy, Bloodborne y things. And they don't work here because it's just so completely different. 
But once you get the hang of it, like I'm actually finding that I'm having an easier time getting into this combat than I did Dark Souls or Bloodborne. So yeah, Dark Souls, uh, I never quite gelled with the combat. It was just a little too deliberate for, too for my taste. Way too defensive. Oh yeah. Whereas I, I really enjoyed in Bloodborne how they encouraged you to be more aggressive, either through uh, being able to regenerate your health through attacks uh, if you've been recently wounded or the parry mechanic was a very offensive defensive maneuver I, I just i personally liked bloodborne a lot more it felt it had less weight to it but mm -hmm. it, it still had that visceral impact but what i enjoy from what i'm seeing with sekiro and i have not purchased it yet because i've i've got a backlog i need to be a good boy for a while <laughs> and mortal Kombat comes out in a few weeks yeah but I mean, for the the other things here too. The one of the thing, one of the other reasons why I'm really enjoying this is, I one of the things that always bothered me with Dark Souls and Bloodborne was the weapons setup. Mm -hmm. Like, don't get me wrong, I like the idea of having different weapons and different builds based around those weapons. That's fine and dandy, but it was getting a little boring. I like the idea that here, you don't get different weapons, you get upgrades for your prosthetic arm, and like, which is just awesome. Which is amazing, uh, but there's also the game does a really good job of incentivizing you to explore because they're hidden in the world. They're not just things you just go and purchase or, you know, you get through a tree upgrade or whatever. It's just you find it, then you go to the sculptor and you get you, you get it added to you. Um, and they all have a purpose. Like there are some bosses and mini bosses that are really uh, affected by whatever sub weapon that you have, whether it's shuriken or the fire bombs or uh, little tiny f uh, firecrackers or the raven's feather that lets you teleport behind them. Like there's a bunch of cool shit you can do. But again, instead of getting different loadouts, you get access to all of those. And then as you gain experience points, uh, well, we'll call them experience points, but as you progress, you then progress through a skill tree that you can unlock different things. And at the end of each skill tree is like a super awesome ability that you have access to. So it's about becoming this amazing Shinobi character, not did I find the right weapon to go with my dex build, which yeah. is really fucking cool because it lets you be more invested in the game, in the moment and in the character. The other thing that I really am enjoying so far is how much fucking exposition there is, and I don't have to fucking read goddamn items <laughs> to get the fucking story. <laughs> so I love that about Bloodborne. I love that in Bloodborne, like, you could, like, talk to NPCs behind walls and things like that and sort of get an idea of what was going on, but it was still very incomplete as far as, like, the story goes. You still had to go find things in the world to sort of unlock that story. Here, no, 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 no. NPCs are talking about what's going on in real time. Like, if you stealth and you like take your time do you know what happens you get to hear fucking story you get to hear npcs talking about what they did or what was just about to happen or what they're planning to do so you can understand what exactly is going around with you they even talk about their fucking patrol patterns so you know which ways to go to get stealth kill how fucking cool is that it rewards a patient player and then when you do get into combat it's very much hectic and heart thumping and rewards you for your 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 twitchy gameplay and you feel accomplished and the best thing is both things work to me really well of course there are some weird things like from software ai glitchiness where they can see you from a mile away but it's from software i kind of fucking expect that yeah and that i think that's 
the big things that set it apart from its predecessors. And I absolutely appreciate from software not sticking to a formula and wanting to to keep flexing their developmental muscles where they could just make Bloodborne and Dark Souls forever and mm -hmm. people will buy it. But they don't want to do that. They want to continue to evolve their gameplay styles. And that's that's the thing with with Dark Souls and Bloodborne. I per, again personally I feel more in Dark Souls that your skill as a player can only take you so far. And this was my problem in Dark Souls. I found myself, just from playing the game, getting better at it. Like, I could feel myself improving. But there was always a point where if my build sucked, that was it. Didn't matter how good I was. It just, I didn't have the right stats and I had to restart again. So, like, and the way those games functioned was, you know, specifically with the boss battles, as long as you can hit your dodge rolls, you'll kill the boss eventually. You know, they, there's, they they became kind of grindy at points. Like it almost felt like playing a Monster Hunter game <laughs> in some of those boss fights. Whereas in Sekiro, it's all about your skill. It's all about learning the enemies, knowing you know, if you have the right upgrades that you can make it an easier fight. I enjoy that, that there's so many different branching paths where it's not straight difficulty of these monsters just have more health and hit harder, but... It's more uh, Metroidvania style of do you have the right upgrades to make this path mm -hmm. more more feasible for yourself? And if you're just if you're just crazy good at the game, it might not matter. Which fine because the way the skill system works in the combat of that risk reward where you know you're a fucking samurai, like you can read your 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 player character can read your opponents better than you as the player can, and it gives you those opportunities to either fall back and you know wait for another opening or push your edge and you know dance on the sword tips and get crazy kills where there is not going to be that element of frankly kind of obtuse rpg elements that are that could possibly just derail your entire playthrough which i really like that and then adding in that resurrection mechanic and in a very cool way too where, yeah, you, you could die and resurrect once. And then you have to essentially get to the next checkpoint before you can uh, do it again. And that it's not just, A, it's like the difficulty mechanic uh, of, okay, you get one life to get through this area. But it's not as punishing because even if you do die and have to go back to the last checkpoint, you're not losing as much you did in, as, as in a Souls game. You're not losing your overall progress. But then them saying how this is clearly something not natural. It's not something anybody else but you can do. It does affect the world. And a player who uses that resurrect mechanic more often will see that it starts to affect the world around them. And that's really fascinating for me. It reminds me of Dishonored. Yeah, and, and that's exactly what it reminded me of, too. And it, you can see pretty immediate effects on that, too like npcs will die like that that is a thing that can happen so you could theoretically kill off non-player characters if you die and resurrect way too often and that's kind of cool because it adds a certain weight to it that i think is better than you know oh i just lost a whole bunch of souls whoopsie doodle you know like it, time to go grind for blood vials again yeah like it, it this has weight to it whoopsie doodle yeah I'm just saying, man, like whoopsie doodle is a pretty 
phenomenal term to use, especially in the context of a Dark Souls game. I really, I really do dig that. <laughs> well, I mean, it's the only word I can think of that would that it would explain the the you know laissez-faire attitude that you would have towards dying in that game. Like, you die in Dark Souls, it's not really not that big of a deal. Like, you don't really lose a whole lot. I mean, unless you're out of humanity or ember or whatever it is in whatever number you're playing but mm -hmm. like there really wasn't any way to it here you could theoretically fuck yourself in the world in a completely weird way because you've died and resurrected too often and like that's what i'm really interested in seeing like as this game is out for longer and more playthroughs or you know people more people finish the game and compare their notes and seeing like okay what exactly was different like is how much of a storyline reward is there for just flat out playing better like getting better at the game like if you do a second playthrough where you die half as often what changes in the story because of that and that's very fascinating yeah and uh, i will be reporting back as i make my way through it because well there's there's going to be plenty i'm sure that i'm going to need to share about my frustrations <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's take things in a completely different direction and talk about the latest uh, game from the makers of Journey, and that is called Sky. So that game company, they've this will be their third game, starting with Flower, moving on to Journey, and now this one, Sky. And it's really interesting to see how their very similar design concepts have evolved over the course of these games flower they, they they compare it to a poem it's something you experience something very beautiful and then you you just have that memory and you move on whereas with journey it started to become this more cooperative experience where there is this kind of drop in drop out on the fly multiplayer element but it wasn't a multiplayer game that other player was just in your world can help you like can guide you along the right path and just to continue to explore this world and find out more about the story so here with Sky, they're evolving that even further, and this is a fully multiplayer game set in what appears to be a very open world. They said that uh, as the game goes on, things will unlock, things will change, you're constantly going to want to be exploring and actually helping out the other players. So they even talked about how at points you're going to have to, like, almost sacrifice or give up stuff to help other people, which I think can be very fascinating. They didn't expand upon it too much, but you know, journey had that, you know, very simple emote system that really was the, the hallmark of that game of people who like knew the path out can like really direct. So now someone who knows how to solve a particular puzzle can come and help somebody else out with that same mechanic to continue to let them continue their exploration in the story. So it's really going to be very interesting to see how this all ties together. But given the company's track record, I, I have no doubts that it's going to work out well. And then the, mint, the really interesting thing here is their release pattern. The game is going to initially be available on Apple devices, essentially iPhones, iPads, uh, Apple TV and Mac later releasing to other platforms. And when they asked, like when they talked about this, like Journey was such a groundbreaking experience for gaming in general. So many people loved it and wanted to share it with other people, but a lot of the people who would have really appreciated Journey for what it was didn't have a PlayStation. So it kind of roadblocked people's experience. So with a game like Sky, which is going to be much more open and much 
really rely on numerous people playing the game. They want to start off on platforms that everybody has, which this day and age is mobile. Um, we know iOS is easier to develop for, for and, than Android, so it makes sense to come out on those devices first. Probably later, iOS, PC, or I'm sorry, Android, PC, consoles, what have you. And I just think that's a really interesting philosophy of not where can we make the most money, because that's obviously a concern in, in any game development, but where can we allow the most people to experience this the way that we envision it? And, and even though, yes, where can we make the most money is probably a, de a deciding factor, at least they don't say it that way, and I can appreciate that. <laughs> so yeah, we'll be seeing much more of that uh, pretty soon, hopefully. Marty, your homework assignment this week was the latest from Remedy Games. Assuming direct control. This has nothing to do with Mass Effect. Rest in peace, Mass Effect. Yeah, uh, you were going to talk about the game Control, and then I took some of that burden from you. It is a first-person... Uh, it's a third-person shooter uh, with puzzles, and it is basically... I the way it was described on Wikipedia made it sound like it is uh, kind of X Files meets uh, early X Files meets the Fringe, uh, but it's totally neither of those things. You are a federal agent for the Bureau of Control, and the uh, entire purpose of this agency is to explore and control supernatural elements that are tending to influence our world. Uh, you play, uh, God, I just closed the window with the character's name, but you play this woman who is a federal agent who has uh, her telekinetic powers. Uh, the tall, brutalist skyscraper that is larger on the inside, kind of like the TARDIS, but not at all as nice. Uh, she has to go in and becomes the new director of the agency because of the gun that she picks up after the tower is invaded by an entity called the Hiss. Now, uh, the game looks fantastic uh, in terms of graphic quality, how smooth it is. Uh, some of the powers they, they show you in the demo, uh, specifically what it was the gameplay demo I was watching today, like pulling up debris to turn into a telekinetic shield that you could then fling at people. Uh, the gun is always changing shape depending on what you're using it for, which I think is a kind of a cool little, you know, trick. Uh, it is a pistol, but it looks... Um, like it's like a pixel, but made of square blocks that just keep moving. Uh, so that's also pretty phenomenal. It also has got some pretty freaky, scary elements like the color palette um, for the rooms that they were showing off. There was just this red tone to everything that was making everything uh, seem otherworldly, which I find uh, the older I get, the more interested I am in other fashions of storytelling. Uh, so this game looks pretty great, and it, it's coming out for all next-gen platforms. I don't remember one, but fairly soon, I think. Um, the last demo came out uh, September 23rd, 2018, but it is uh, the actual product is actually coming out fairly soon. The thing I appreciate most about Control is it's making Remedy weird again. <laughs> we all loved Remedy when they were at their weirdest between Max Payne and Alan Wake, and they kind of took that edge off with uh, with Quantum Break, and they they've flat out said like they were they were trying to make a more widely accessible game, and that's just not what they do. <laughs> they they work best when they've just 
dove off the deep end and just gone for whatever bizarre concept they've come up with and we're back like i yeah. that's really all i need remedy is back to doing remedy things and that makes me happy it is a very weird looking game like it fits not just like in the strange kind of way but as in like weird fiction right it very much fits that kind of mold and it's pretty interesting like i would like to play this game yeah in the, in the interest of my own sanity i won't ask if you played alan wake good 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 thing you didn't listen man i played a lot of wow i played a lot of starcraft uh i played a lot of the BattleNet games you want to talk marathon i can talk to you about marathon for days that's you know see and that's the yeah. thing because i know you love marathon i know you'd be into remedy stuff and then i should be playing this game yeah and alan wake is definitely a game that i have my buddy will has told me about and i should be playing so or should have played so we'll see all right the next game i want to talk about is it, it's a little hard for me to really grasp how to frame it so a few years back her story came onto the market and it was a huge success uh it was a new take on narrative storytelling where essentially you had access to this police database of these interviews with a woman and they were out of sequence. You didn't always know exactly what to look for. So it was essentially listening to what she had to say and like doing searches for things that come up and trying to find more videos. So you were essentially piecing the story together yourself, finding out what her story is, because clearly something was up. Well, Sam Barlow, the creator of that game, has a new one coming out later this year called Telling Lies. And in this game, you now have access to the stories of four different people something is up it's up to you to figure out what bits of footage are going to be useful to deciphering this mystery and finding out more about them so it has that same cool core concept but there's a really uncomfortable element of this as well because the way you as the player character have access to these videos is I don't know if you're given or if you find, I don't know exactly what the framing device here, but it's essentially an NSA hard drive that you're searching through because you're going through the essentially stolen surveillance off of these people's laptops, cell phones, looks like, you know, internet, Wi-Fi connected doorbells. It's kind of a 2019 privacy tech nightmare, which makes me very uncomfortable because especially so many of the scenes that they show in this trailer are very intimate like the people who are like web chatting like video chat chatting with friends loved ones and especially me personally because before i moved to pennsylvania i was in a long distance relationship for a couple of years with alicia where we communicated pretty much exclusively over skype and cell phone and whatnot so it just it's a look into people's private moments that makes me really uncomfortable and i know what they're going for here that i would assume that's the theme uh, but I, as a player i don't know if i want to really peel back those layers to to find out what the big mystery is because it, it's just it it doesn't sit right with me because it's too close to home I, I think that's a lot of it. Absolutely. 
Like I, I saw a lot of myself in those clips. That is so many um, bits of that I've heard from her story. My friends who played that game multiple times, uh, both were huge MMO players and uh, well, one more than the other. And they were just totally identified with the character at the center of that drama. And it was really hard for them to play it. Um, and they would they played multiple times, but it would be like, you know, months between playthroughs. So that's that's a hard game to that's a hard thing to wrap your head around in terms of like making it a you know a good fun experience that's like game as psychological exercise and, and like i think it's cool as shit that it exists and somebody is willing to explore that space as as a narrative avenue like that's that's really interesting but at the same time it, it's just you know, everybody has those moments. Like, it's, it's a lot of the reasons, like, I never got into Last of Us. Like, it just felt a little too real to me, and I couldn't experience it the way other people could. So it was just... <sighs> I'm really interested to see what other people think of this game. Let's put it that way. Yeah. On to some more lighthearted things, though. We got our first glimpse of what we knew was coming. It was a question of what, when, and where. And that is the second edition, if you will, of Persona 5. Uh, this one is called Persona 5 The Royal. So this has become somewhat of a tradition with the Persona franchise at this point, where Persona 3 was re-released on the PSP, God, <laughs> a million years ago, as Persona 3 Portable, enhancing a lot of story elements, adding in a bunch of new side quests, and most importantly there, adding in a second playable character, this one female, so you can have different romance options. We saw that again with Persona 4 releasing on the Vita as Persona 4 Golden, and that was a huge success for the franchise. So it was pretty much a given that when Persona 5 came out, eventually it would have a new version. And here we have Persona 5 Royal. Now, they showed off a little bit of it, I think, next week? At some point in April, they're, they're going to give a, a little more in-depth reveal of it. And that they showed off a new character but it didn't feel to me like a new playable character. At least not yet. I've, again, I'm assuming there's a new playable character being added in as well. But this is a new, like, supporting cast member. And what's cool here is that the, the core concept of Persona 5 revolved around the Phantom Thieves, and it was actually a really interesting narrative based around, like, social constructs and that... As the, the Phantom Thieves as an organization were just gaining more traction on like social media and stuff, they literally became more powerful in this meta-dimensional realm that they were able to explore. Really interesting twists on the narrative there that I, that, that I liked. So this new character they showed off is very much a disbeliever. Not necessarily that the Phantom Thieves exist or not, but whether they are just and whether their, their cause is worth pursuing. So I think that could be a very interesting avenue to explore because the, all these supporting characters have side quests associated with them and you really have to invest time in getting to know them better and finding out their full stories. Now, what was most interesting about this, though, is that... We all assumed, given that Joker is coming to Super Smash Brothers, that the announcement was that this game was going to be on Switch. And while that is not disproven at this point, they've only thus far announced it for PlayStation 4. 
which I find very interesting. They they have to be waiting for a different time to announce a Switch version because I'm still convinced it's coming, but a lot of people were really disappointed when it was only announced for PlayStation 4. I mean, it could also be a timed exclusive thing too, potentially. Yeah. I mean, and what what company is the one that produces Persona again? Atlas. Atlas. So, I mean, do they have any other games right now on any Nintendo system? Uh, I don't know if they have much on Switch, but they've put out so much stuff, at least on the 3DS over the years. Like, I think they might have been the 3DS's top supporter. So, I, I know they have a relationship with Nintendo. Yeah, and so with them, you know, potentially now moving to away from the 3DS and onto the Switch, it would make sense that they're going to move stuff over uh, at some point, but there might they might just be waiting again for later on in the year. Uh, it'll probably be announced at a Nintendo Direct, if anything. Like, yeah. I, I have a feeling that Nintendo's like, nope, we're going to announce it. Shut up. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, definitely stage, because, again, there's a, a bigger reveal coming up. Like, I think the, the actual announcement was, like, tied in with the, seri- the season finale of, like, the Persona anime series or something that was going on that's... Atlas has really weird announcement schemes. <laughs> so, Joe, tell me more about this Cyber Shadow. So, Cyber oh, Shadow man. is, well, it's another love letter to Ninja Gaiden. It would be the best way that I can put it. Uh, it is essentially the world has been taken over by synthetic life forms, and you have to basically go Cyber Ninja on their ass and take them all. That's all I know about the plot so far because I think that's all they told us so far. And honestly, that's more than I think the original Ninja Gaiden had, which was, go get your girlfriend. Why yeah. are there robots? We don't understand why they're aliens either. Uh, but it's interesting because it's being published by Yacht Club Games. It's not made by them, though. And this is something that I'm seeing a lot of people misreport, and it's bothering me. So Yacht Club did not actually make Cyber Shadow. It's a solo project um, by a man named Arn Hunziker. Uh, who spent the last 10 years building this game and didn't wind up looking for a publisher, like originally was going to release this independently until Shovel Knight released. And then he's like, okay, I see how they treated a retro game. This is very much like I want to do. And then said, okay, I would like to talk to you, talk with you now. Uh, so they're publishing. I think they maybe, maybe helped them a little bit, do some fine tuning and some play testing. Uh, but it's very much a a very small studio endeavor. Uh, but everything that we see from it so far, it just looks like it's classic Ninja Gaiden, power-ups, abilities, uh, running gun, platforming, except instead of running with guns, you run with a katana or various other you know, shuriken or other ninja things. Uh, it looks absolutely fantastic. We don't know a date yet. We just know that it's coming soon. Uh, and I'm looking forward to seeing more of it because... Shit, like I played the hell out of the messenger, which was also a love letter to Ninja Gaiden, but also a love letter to Metroidvanias. This looks like it's just pure Ninja Gaiden. Like that's it. Yeah, but yeah. I'm not good enough to play those games anymore. Oh man, I don't care. I gotta play. I was games. barely good enough to play them when I was young. <laughs> oh, I I remember Ninja Gaiden two coming out and being astounded at the idea of like, um, what is it? Uh, like just you cling to the wall like you don't just bounce off the wall that was like the most exciting thing for me and in in game technology progression like i can hit a wall and not die that was amazing and i literally like spent a weekend recording the story of ninja gaiden on my vhs i would just hit record to capture 
the story elements, just the cutscenes that were rendered in 8-bit because I don't know. I need to get it out more as a kid. I just loved it and I have no <laughs> well, regrets. Nin Ninja Gaiden was the first game to really do that. Yeah. Prior really to was. that point, every game had uh, a token cutscene at the beginning and a token cutscene at the end and maybe something in the middle along the lines of the princesses in another castle. Ninja Gaiden was really the first game that split up the gameplay with story elements. So in addition to it just being like some of the best gameplay of that era, it was absolutely groundbreaking for storytelling as well. I also just remember when Ninja Gaiden Black came out on the oh. Xbox 360 yep. being heartbroken because it wasn't, it didn't carry over. It bothered me a lot. But this there's was a, a while ago. Yeah, there's a lot that bothered me about that game. <laughs> okay, good. But yeah, it's it's going to be an exciting game to watch, especially if you're into that style. Uh, the animations look absolutely fluid and gorgeous, which is super cool. Uh, it's just now a matter of waiting and seeing how much it's going to cost and when I can play it. All right, and we're going to round out this week with the latest from Chucklefish Games, the creator of Starbound. It's another one of the long list of games we've talked about tonight that are coming out soon. <laughs> 2019 is the best we've got for just about everything we've talked about. <laughs> but this is absolutely a love letter to the old pulp adventure serials of like the 30s and 40s, the stuff that we recognize as Indiana Jones, but realistically the things that inspired George Lucas and Steven Spielberg to make that movie. And it just, it looks so much fun. It's got that... Uh, like it feels like it has roguelike elements to it, but obviously we don't know how much of what we saw in this little gameplay trailer was randomized, but essentially you have this large cast of characters that you can go out there, find, recruit, put into your, your, your squad to go out there and just look for awesome treasure artifacts, fighting zombies and Nazis along the way, just like you're supposed to. It absolutely nails the aesthetic, but it also looks like it has very interesting gameplay on top of that with these branching paths along the map to explore, uh, it looks like all kinds of decisions, uh, various things you have based, probably based on what character you have, what previous things you've experienced. And then throw on top of that some cool XCOM-style gameplay. Looks like it's going to be a bunch of fun. There was a board game that came out not that long ago that this reminds me of, and I just can't remember the name. I'm hoping you guys can help me out. Oh, God. Uh, yeah, that one. That one. God damn it. Where it, it has that same element of just, you know perfectly encapsulating the spirit of those old movies and the characters and the gameplay and just that that feeling of adventure that existed back then because i mean everything was was new like everything was interesting it, being able to hop on a plane and go somewhere was really a foreign concept at the time and just being able to go back and kind of recapture that feeling in this cool little game i i really appreciate that but anyway, that's going to wrap us up here on this episode of For the Lore. Thank you so much for listening. Sorry if you were tuning in for our Destiny 2 chat because, well, that was Roger's thing. Well, hope, look forward to that next week. Uh, he's got some things to say about Forsaken. Uh, he doesn't <laughs> like it. No, it's, and he's wrong. You hear that, Roger? You're wrong. But until then, uh, please check us out. Uh, on iTunes, Stitcher, everywhere you can get podcasts. You can find our show notes on 
ForTheLore.com. You can follow our Twitter for all the latest updates at ForTheLore. Individually, Roger, the questionable destiny consumer, is at Zen Buddhist. Marty is at Officer Gleason. Joe is at LoaderZJ. And I am at Simodian. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next week. Questionable D2 consumer. I appreciate that. that <laughs> oh, that's a good title. That is, yeah, that is cool. You know what? Just sometimes when the brain doesn't come up with words, you find something that goes together. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to For The Lore. If you'd like to hear more from the guys, check out Popcorn Ronin with Roger and Vince, a movie, TV, and anime podcast, as well as Lore Watch, a Blizzard lore podcast co-starring Joe. And if you're into comic books, check out All Comics Considered with Marty and his crew. Lastly, thanks to Manelli Jamal for the show's theme music. You can find him at ManelliJamal.com as well as on iTunes and help support this incredible musician by picking up his CDs.